Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. Most associations hold their annual conferences as a way to get their members under one roof for networking, education purposes, and a retreat-like environment where you're surrounded by your peers. As life for many of us continues to return to a more familiar form, this year has been the first year for some of our associations to have an annual conference in person again. Members and attendees are excited to be back in person, but they also have some questions. What will the programming be like now? What's the draw for an in-person event now instead of a virtual one? And who are the speakers and how will they help me with my current challenges? Our guest today is able to assist with answering these questions. Our guest is Leander Robbie, who has been with Hewlings and Associates LLC for over five years. Developing others has been a way of life for him, whether coaching superintendents, principals, CEOs, or even first grade players in youth soccer leagues, he's jazzed about seeing people reach their potential. That's why he's been engaged with coaching leaders and team building for the past 20 years. When Leander isn't hanging out with his three kids, you can find him training for a bucket list half Ironman or off-road somewhere in his Jeep. He's a huge fan of the outdoors, Notre Dame football, and community development. Welcome, Leander. We're excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Nick. So I know I just kind of briefly went over your bio just now. Can you maybe share a little bit about your personal and professional journey, how you got to where you are today, why coaching is such a, a key component of what you do? Right. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because I've just always oriented towards developing others. Uh, no matter what management or leadership position I would hold, I was always trying to coach the next wave of leaders. And so that has spilled over whether it was kids sports teams and leagues and all of that, or uh, helping other organizations outside of the organizations where I was um, employed. It's just become something that has snowballed into to what it is today and has been going on for a number of years now. So when did you maybe learn that this was a passion of yours, right? Wanting to see other people succeed and, and coach them? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I've always seen potential in people and just have always noticed that it's just been innate for me, very intuitive. So um, it would just be something where I would begin to challenge that or encourage that process of development for them, helping them to lean into their potential. And from a leadership perspective, it's critical to develop talent. (laughs) I mean, the competition for talent is really intense right now in our economy. But prior to that, I've worked with a number of organizations that strategically saw leadership development and even creating leadership development pipelines have been a part of that process for a Fortune 200 company. They, they strategically chose that years ago before this economy is what it is today. And they saw that as, as a critical need for their future success. So I've just naturally had that bent and, and understanding. So when you approach coaching um, or kind of that leadership development, um, how would you define coaching? maybe for somebody who isn't familiar with the concept or maybe their only Uh, experience is with maybe a a sports coach or something like that. No, that's a good question. The, the word coach actually goes back to the 15th century. I'm sort of a nerd on etymology and the study and history of words and the meaning of words. So you go back to the 15th century and they were building these elaborate carriages back then. That's when that started. And there was a town who was really good at it. And they said, well, Hey, let's brand ours. We're going to name it after our town. Well, the town is named coach Hungary. Well, we would translate it in English, C-O-A-C-H, but it was spelled a little differently with a K and I believe K-O-U-C-H. But anyway, they would take that. So what were they doing? They would take and someone would purchase the coach 
And now they would, let's say it's coaching Johnny from point A to point B. They would help Johnny move from home to school because if they didn't coach him there. He probably wouldn't end up there. He was a little bit like I was in school as a kid. So then afterwards, you coach then Johnny from school, point A to point B, which is some kind of sports practice on a field somewhere. Well, what would happen? The coach persons at that time called coachmen, a little stereotypical, but they would line up and wait for that person that they were going to coach back home. And they would do what as they were lined up on the sidelines? We would see them encouraging, yelling out instructions, all that kind of thing, clapping, applauding. And so even athletic coaching comes from that. But you think of coaching in its essence is helping people move from point A to point B. It's very different than consulting. Um, consultants, you hire them because they're supposed to be the subject matter expert, whatever that is, in whatever field or industry. So they come in to tell you how to do things, what your A is and what your B should be. <laughs> And this is what you. This is where you should be as far as point B. For us, we come in, and instead, it's an approach of saying, "What is your point A? What What do you understand your point A to be?" We'll give you a lot of questions and processes to define that, but it's your point A, and then to help you name and crystallize and envision your point B. That's your point B. I'm an agnostic on people's point B, but then we are there to help them establish that. And then we can give them processes and tools to move from A to B. But it's, again, their process that they need to own. And so the transformation tends to be, I would say, it's transformational and not just transactional. And it tends to be deeper because that process really helps people to own their journey and what is happening organizationally or as an individual leader. I think that's a really cool kind of difference there between consulting and coaching that you're identifying there, because I think I would not have made that distinction myself personally, but I think that as you've described it, it makes total sense, right? A, yeah. A consultant is really telling me where I'm supposed to go. Whereas a coach is helping me maybe discover that for myself. So you would say maybe like coaching is a lot more intrinsic, right? You're helping me understand more about myself and what I can mm-hmm. achieve versus telling me, you know, the market forces are saying that you should be doing this by this date. Right. Oh, well said, Nick. Yeah. And, and we need consultants. It's not that, that one's better than the other. It's just different. And this is probably the primary difference. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you speak on coaching as well, right? Correct. So uh, yeah, as a speaker, and I'm, I am challenging myself to get away from saying like a new normal and things like that, but you know, we're returning, right. I think to a more familiar form of in-person meetings and things like that. So I'm curious um, just as a speaker, Are you kind of back to mostly in person? Are you doing uh, mostly virtual still with some, or is it kind of a mix of both at this point for you? Prior to the pandemic, uh, uh, the work that we do individually in one-on-one settings, we were already doing virtually. Uh, That just works very, very well. There's a a trusting relationship that's established. It's easy to have those conversations and that works very well. Uh, the group settings and presentations and training and f- facilitating active learning at a, you know, thinking from an andragogy perspective and not a child education pedagogy perspective, you need it to be interactive and, and adult oriented. That adult centered kind of learning is very hard in a virtual way or a hybrid way as much even I'd say the hardest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we've been seeing a surge back to in-person learning and people really welcoming that and embracing that. And in fact, we see with different associations, we have worked with a downturn in participation, a lack of engagement with the group virtual option, mm-hmm. if you will. Why do you or think that hybrid. is? 
just because they're not getting the experience that they would want from that andragogy perspective, especially maybe that you're talking about? It's, it's harder. All of the different, um, you have to do a lot of work to make it effective virtually in a hybrid. You have to work even harder Mm. and there's a new buzzword that's developing as I read, you know, different thought leaders. And I've just seen that the last couple of weeks and they talk about employee equity and in a hybrid work environment, the equity is not equality. Equality is everybody gets the same. We gave everybody everything. It's all even. It's fair. That's the language we use. Equity is we give each individual the supports they need to succeed so that everyone is succeeding. The virtual participant in a hybrid environment needs supports that a lot of a lot of organizations are not providing. Mm. So we've actually made some decisions recently that we're not going to do any training or participation in hybrid environments just because the groups were, were dependent on, they ask us to come in, but they don't have employee equity. So the experience is really lacking for those participants. Hmm. I think that's really interesting from the speaker perspective there, right? That you've made that decision. And I think it's not an incorrect one. I, I mean, I've been in some kind of hybrid experiences as well through, and I'm sure many of our listeners have as well, kind of in the, um, the pandemic period of, if I'm the one who's virtual, yeah, it's a lot easier to just kind of not necessarily participate as much or, or, you know, not be as present, but if I'm in person, it's so much easier and it's, I want to participate more because I'm physically there. And so I think that that's really interesting. Um, and I think that's something that associations, as we think about how to serve our members need to be thinking about when we talk with speakers like yourself about mm-hmm. how are we delivering your content to our members or our, our attendees. Right. Yeah. The preparation to make it impactful takes on a whole nother. It's a, there's another level of preparation that's required that not everybody is giving to an effective virtual environment yeah. or especially a hybrid. That's, that's been rare. Yeah. I've yet well, to see it really prepared well. And we've said, right on the, on the staff side for associations, hybrid is it's really two events, right? You're managing yeah. two completely not separate, mm-hmm. but connected, right? Bridged events. Um, but it does take more work. And so I think that that's, I'm going to say refreshing. Maybe that's a weird word choice, but to hear that that is also on the speaker side as well, right? So if we're hiring somebody, mm-hmm. they're also thinking about that exact same thing, that it takes more bandwidth, more time, more energy to manage those expectations, especially in a hybrid kind of space. Right. So as you're returning to some of those in-person kind of group trainings, are you noticing that attendee expectations have shifted now of what they expect out of that training after we've kind of had some of those virtual, maybe some of those hybrid, but now we're really going back to those in-person experiences. Are those different now than they were before the pandemic for you? What I'm observing is that attention spans are shorter Mm. as most definitely so if, if the approach was a sit and get kind of a information dump, uh, that that is, it just really lacks the impact mm. um, because of that. And, and, and so people are cautious, but at the same time, hungry for engagement with others. And so it, it takes on more of a facilitation role, even if you're introducing new information, content, tools, skills, et cetera, you have to play much more of a role, almost a facilitator than you are a presenter mm-hmm. slash speaker. So that's an, that's an interesting perspective to take that it's, 
And I think that's a skill set then that we have to be looking for in speakers now, right? That it's not just you're giving this information. I need you to help get people there um, through the facilitated discussion. Right. And there's still a place, but it's like it, it's going to be segments within a facilitated learning experience as mm-hmm. opposed to just uh, here's an hour or two hours of sitting there and listening. That's yeah. it's going to be very, very rare as far as effectiveness. Absolutely. So have you changed up any of your own speaking style or presentation style then to accommodate some of what you're, you're mentioning here? Yes. Yeah. We, we constantly are looking from a continuous improvement perspective, um, soliciting feedback, really wrestling with the feedback processing. And so we're developing new tools and processes all the time. And that has been in some of the content and material that we continue to develop. We've, we've very much incorporated that adult learning dynamic and, and a number of activities and, and tools to do that. Yeah. Just in case some of our listeners are not familiar with, can you share a little bit more about kind of that andragogy perspective um, and what are some of the important pieces that that kind of philosophy of teaching brings? Sure. Um, I mean, for example, one component is that of uh, self-discovery. So you can have everyone sit there and listen as I tell you what you need to know. Or we could give you resources and let you on your own. You're going to take 10 minutes. You're going to read this article. You're going to come back and you're going to compare and critique and compare and contrast with a small group and have a discussion. You can play a role play. You can do a debate on the pros and cons that you find as far as the main points of that. I mean, on and on the list goes of the mechanisms, the the protocols, the things you can use to help people in their own self-discovery. So again, you're facilitating their self-discovery and then you start turning around and saying, okay, well, let's look at a framework perhaps that when we think of this, what we've been learning already, how do we then change something? What's the change we're seeking? Well, here's an, here's, for example, a framework. Well then, all right, here's a framework to use. What do you think of this pros and cons of that? Let's critique the framework itself. Now let's talk application. If we were to use this framework, how does that change our work? ourselves, etc. So, I mean, there's a lot of guided interaction and different ways to flow through something like that, but it's around really fostering that self-discovery, the synthesis of ideas and the application. It, it has to be application-oriented if it's not practical and why am I learning identified what their needs are. They're, they're checked out and I go, like, okay, I'm out. Yeah, That also goes with that short attention span. Yeah. I think that that application piece, you know, I think when we think about association professionals, we're always thinking that, right? Why am I going to sign up for this webinar? Why am I going to go to this event? Why am I going to do whatever if it's not going to help me solve whatever problem I have potentially in my day-to-day job? And I think we have to remember that our members want the same thing, right? Our attendees that are coming to something are spending money, they're spending time to come to something and they want to be able to solve those same problems. And so we have to, I think, help, maybe sounds strange, we have to help coach our speakers, right, to make sure that they're hitting on those those important factors for our, our members and attendees then as well. Well, I would also say it's important for the association leadership to understand the needs of their members. Hmm. Because I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll talk with someone from an association that'll ask me to come and present. I'm like, okay, so, so what's the most pressing need right now? <laughs> or you want me to speak in this topic? Well, tell me three things about, and they're like, I don't know. We just want you to speak on this topic. It's like, 
well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think that goes both ways from a leadership perspective, not only helping the, the presenter slash speaker, but also association leadership taking enough time to really understand what their members need or are seeking. Yeah, because so. if we can't articulate that to a speaker, then I think we've got some more legwork to do. Mm-hmm to ensure then that that speaker is going to be effective, right? Um, I think when we think right. about, you know, the amount of money sometimes associations spend on speakers and they, and they could just be, you know, we just want to, you know, get people pumped up, uh, but also workshops, facilitated discussions, any of those kinds of things, right? For bringing in those outside resources, we want to make sure that we're putting in a good investment, which means we've got to provide some of that as well. So as, as we think about speakers, I'm, I'm curious if there's just anything that's changed from your perspective in terms of kind of the contracting and selection of speakers. Again, as we maybe more so return to an in-person experience, anything you're seeing, new requests maybe from association professionals that you're like, well, that's a new request um, in the contract or something like that? Not on a contractual level. Okay. I, I haven't noticed anything changing that way. I mean, okay. some of the the topic areas have mm. evolved as far as what you know people are interested in and, and asking about. But yeah, I'm not so much on a contractual level for myself anyway. Yeah. How have the topics yeah. evolved? Uh, obviously, <laughs> wellness has come oh, up and just yeah. exploded on the scene. Uh, but from in our perspective, what we are being asked to engage with much more is, it's fascinating to see it, but building trust mm. and trust in organizations. Because with all of the shifts, um, sometimes trust has become uh, more thin in an organization. It's been eroded. Other agents or organizations would have, for example, a higher level of trust. And they're like, hey, we just want to make sure we safeguard that or build it. Also, conflict that has been a part of this whole transition that I would say we're still in. We haven't, you know, we're beginning to come out of COVID, mm-hmm. but where is that all going to land? What is that new normal that you referenced, you know, earlier? Like we're still, that's, we're still in process with that. A lot of people can't name for their organization, what that actually looks like going mm-hmm. forward. So because of that, there's still the, the, the potential for conflict and things. And so how do we deal with conflict? So conflict resolution, conflict skills, that's a big one as well. So those would be some of the, the topics that as of late have, have been rising to the surface. And I think what's so interesting with that is that so many of those would also apply to the association leadership space, right? So us as professionals, uh, but also for our members and attendees, how are we helping them navigate those same conversations? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think one of your focus areas as a speaker is this concept of the four voices of change. So can you share a little bit about these individual voices and what they mean, uh, both for, again, maybe our work as association professionals, but also for our members? Sure. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you guys have grabbed onto this topic because I've literally walked into some spaces and said, you're going, it's a choose your own adventure. And I've come prepared with several topics. And this area of, of handling change and leading change even is one of that I will offer and hands down people will avoid that topic. And I'm like, wow, we are going through unprecedented change. We have gone through unprecedented change and there's so much change ahead. It's really interesting to see that. And it's almost like people have said because of COVID, I believe just I'm, we're tired and we've right. had so much change. We just don't, we want to pretend like 
or head in the sand. Pretend <laughs> There's like no it's more that's coming. Exactly. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so it's great to talk about. Uh, Harvard Business Review did a study just in the last two years of across all different industries, and they studied change initiatives that had been um, launched. And so each organization, each in, in, within all these or- industries, um, were attempting some form of change. And that they, in their study, this is a not the exact percentage, but it was around 80% of those change initiatives failed. Hmm. And that then cost across those industries billions and billions of dollars. They were able to put a number to that. So <laughs> that's that's huge. And the question then is, who do you want to be in the eighty percent or do you want to be in the twenty percent? Right. So we're what we see is one reason. It's not the only reason. There's several really big reasons why. A one big reason why a lot of change initiatives fail is that there's not the right voices in the conversation. Now I say voices, and someone might say, "Well, I know so and so in our office or at our in our company or etc." They should have been involved because. They're just smarter than other people or for whatever reason, you name the reason so-and-so should have been included. But what we're going to look at are four critical voices and we're using it from and looking at it from an archetypal perspective, which is mm-hmm. here's a framework, a lens that we can look at the converse or at, look at the change initiative. And on the front end, there's four lenses we should be looking through. There's two that we typically look through and we'll look at those two, but there's two others that are many times silent. Even if they're in the room, they're just silent and they're never really valued. And because of it, it's our undoing on the front end of the conversation before we even begin to launch the initiative. So we're just going to take some time to process that and introduce the the framework to, to examine and develop change in a better way. Yeah. And I think what you're kind of hitting on here, right, is some of the previous conversation that we were talking about, which is some of that self-discovery, right? So we're going to be presenting a framework, right? Something Mm -hmm. that you could learn a little bit about and then start to say, okay, how could I apply this to an upcoming change that my association may be looking at doing or, um, you know, a process that we're about to have happen in my own organization or in my company structure, whatever that might look like. Mm -hmm. And, and along with that, it's, it's fascinating to see, how many times now we there's change we have to we've had to do that was forced on us we've had no choice mm-hmm. and it continues to be there's still some change that we don't have a choice in it's it's whatever for whatever reason external forces and at the same time i've seen a number of organizations who are grabbing onto we need to now move forward with some changes that we we couldn't get to because of covid now we can or COVID has set us up to where we still need to take step A, B, or C. And they're doing so, and they're they're totally unaware of the shift in values that COVID has brought. Mm-hmm. And so we launch forward in a change initiative, and we don't even understand the environment of our own organization and how different it really is. And we because, again, we haven't taken that time. We can't name how it's shifted. But yet we're pressing ahead with change initiatives. It's like, whoa, 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 you're doing so in a different environment now. Our employees or our, our association members are, we value different things than we did a year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, this is all part of that conversation that we're going to have. So, yeah, I think that's really exciting. So if an attendee, you know, is 
reading through the program book, right? And mm-hmm. uh, there's your description and then there's another one and maybe there's a third one. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm leaning towards this one, but I'm unsure if I want to attend Leander's session. So what's like the number one thing they should know about, you know, the sessions that you lead? Um, what can they plan to be able to take away that would make them say, yep, that's the one I'm going to go to. Excellent. Uh, one is we have fun. We laugh. <laughs> that's a key piece. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have fun with this. Um, and it's at the same time, it's, it, it hits home because it, it dives deep below the surface and it's not just looking at things from a transactional level. It's going down to those, what are the things that are the dynamics that are at play that we, we have to consider that are really significant for our work going forward. And then we'll give you tools to then say, okay, how would I apply this and talk about application of this? So when you leave there, you're able to say, wow, I would, I will now lead change differently. And here's how. And this is setting us up to be in that 20% instead of the 80% that unfortunately is the norm. Yeah. Well, Leander, I appreciate all of your time today. I am very excited for a conversation about change. I know it's, uh, as you've mentioned, we've had a lot of it lately, but I think as association leaders, we have to recognize that it's just going to continue. It's never going to stop. Um, And so if you are interested in uh, a conversation about change, I would definitely encourage you to check out Leander's sessions, um, contact him individually uh, as well. Um, And so we appreciate you being here. Any final thoughts? on change, on kind of what associations are facing today? I, I, I just applaud the associations because they're having to wrestle with some new paradigms of how they deliver services. And all of the associations I've been talking to are undergoing some significant change. So this is definitely relevant for each. If you need to get a hold of me, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn or on our website, hewlingsandassociates.com. Or also you can just email me directly, Leander at HewlingsAndAssociates.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, again, we appreciate you spending some time with us today and giving us a little bit of a preview on uh, the four voices of change. Perfect. Thanks so much for the time, Nick. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. It's also hard to believe it's already the end of our first season. We hope you learned a lot over the course of the season, and we can't wait to introduce you to even more topics and guests next season. We'll be taking a break through the summer, but rest assured, we'll be coming back in August. In the meantime, please send us topic ideas, questions, or challenges your association or you professionally are facing, and we'll do our best to explore these next season. Just send us an email at info at isae.org. Thanks for listening.